Hello, my name is Mark. Hi, I'm Brian, and welcome to the Therapy Shed podcast. Hello. Hello. Here we are. Bit strange today, isn't it? Not in the shed. Not in the shed. <laughs> You'll have to just pretend that we're in the shed. Well, yeah, we will, but no, but at the same time, I'm quite happy that we're out on tour. It's our first time. On the wonderful and windy streets of Liverpool. Do you know what's really strange? Go on. That we're sitting the wrong way round. I normally sit where you're sitting and you normally sit where I'm sitting. I see why you have couch. to point that out. That's it. Now all kinds of anxieties are going off for me. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the, the side, it's like um, Morecambe and Wise, isn't it? The side of the bed that you lie on. We're on the wrong side. You have to be on the yeah. same, it's like out in deck. I don't think we can be Deck and ants would never have taken off. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are, we are on, on the road today. Yes. In um, uh, Rasa. Yeah. In Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a very special guest. Yes. Shall we introduce our very special guest? Let's do that. Cool. So I'm delighted to welcome, thank you for joining us, Vicky Green. Hello. Hello, Hello Vicky. Hello. Welcome to Bootle. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lovely building though, isn't it? Just say yeah, before we start. Very it's, nice. Yeah, this room's really nice and bright and mm. yeah, no, it's nice. Nice and warm. Is that because I made you a cup of coffee? Is it? That yeah. was that was a yeah. really nice cup of coffee, by the way. <laughs> it is the quickest way to our hearts. Cups of teas yeah. and coffees, definitely. Yeah. On the last recording, I think it was. Um, I think I, we, I was getting quite excited over I your made cup, you of a cup of coffee, hadn't I? Yeah. 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 See, this is golden material for the podcast, isn't it? Really. <laughs> we'll have to go on tour more because I just stuff me having to make the coffee all the time. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I see that. Yeah, and we can sample different cups of coffee and teas and coffee. Good idea. Well. We could do a series. We could rate them. Do you know if no one's ever listened to this podcast before? I think right now they'll be thinking, is this a mental health podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so how are you today, Vicky? Good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Busy day today, but um, now just, yeah, nice to talk to you folks. Yeah, and you, thank you so much for giving us your time today. So um, we are here at Rasa, your, well, I was going to say your service, but I guess it's not your service. No, no. But uh, tell us a little bit about your kind of, just a tagline for RASA, so what is RASA? Yeah, so RASA, RASA Merseyside, RASA stands for Rape and Sexual Abuse. Um, so we are yeah, a service that provides support for um, people of, through Merseyside that have experienced rape or sexual abuse either uh, directly or indirectly in some way impacted by it. Right, okay. Wow. And I think that's obviously we'll, we'll get into a little bit more what that means sure, as, yeah. as the episode goes on, but that's... Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm. And is it is Rasa just based in here in Bootle, or have you got other places around Merseyside? Yeah, or? we've got a place in Birkenhead as well, okay. uh, and then we've got an outreach centre at Southport as well, so we can kind of get to as many places as we can. Um, a lot of our remote uh, work has gone online now as well, remotely or mm-hmm. via phone as well, so we can reach quite a wide yeah. catchment now. Have you noticed that's been quite good in some ways, that hasn't been able to reach Absolutely, I think as a result of COVID, I definitely think that, um, oddly, we we were kind of curious of whether people would prefer to wait to come in person, but actually a lot of people said our preference was um, to be online because Mm. their home often is a safe place for people that feel quite anxious, so Mm -hmm. therapy Mm. actually works quite well. Yeah, I've Um, I've definitely found that. I was a little bit resistant to go online because I just didn't fancy the idea of it but yeah. sort of was forced to because of COVID yeah. and um, I like the balance now I like still like doing me face to face but I also like doing little bits of online Definitely, stuff yeah. mm. I think I think that went right across our sector really didn't it the uh, the idea from what I understood and certainly from a personal perspective the idea of online therapy was very much don't want to say a last resort but it was very much like yeah that's not really you know what therapy usually is yeah. about and obviously with the pandemic it was a it was a case of having to initially mm. yeah. and if I'm honest I don't think many people I come across felt like it was going to be a long-term thing I think it was just this is all we can offer mm. right you know what I mean 
but now it's it really has had fantastic results in a lot of ways yeah there's certainly got something to offer and it's, and it's here to stay isn't it mm. you, you've just made me think of when the pandemic first started and that rush of like what zoom how do we get on yeah, zoom yeah. oh crikey yeah. right then uh need to and it was just it just made me reflect on yeah what that was like at yeah. first you know and your first few appointments seeing somebody uh, online is just bizarre yeah yeah initially it, was, it yeah. was really strange because there's obviously people that have been doing it before the pandemic but they had specific training and you know yeah. it was the job wasn't it where i'd gone from i think i'd maybe done bits of phone support for people but mm. i wouldn't say therapy all the type of therapy that i'd ever done was face to face so going straight to online was um yeah exactly like that it was a bit bit strange mm. and I, I had a very similar experience to yourself vicky it was uh, a colleague said so there's this thing called zoom and we're going to be using that from tomorrow it's like zoom and then they explained it to me i went that will never work that sounds ridiculous you know and it's and yet now it's like uh, you know yeah putting them into breakout rooms exactly and like, yeah. yeah i'm gonna put you into a room what yeah. a virtual room yeah yeah it's crazy but yeah. uh but again i think overall all the better for it you know i definitely. think it's definitely enriched our our practice our clinical mm -hmm. skills and it's obviously offered as you as you mentioned vicky it's offered therapy to a lot of people mm. who maybe wouldn't have been able to access it otherwise yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay well we kind of dove straight in there which is brilliant mm -hmm. but as with all our guests vicky we we like to ask uh 10 questions at the beginning of each episode mm. as a little bit of an icebreaker is that okay with you good son? yes fire away are you ready to walk the plank i am <laughs> cool okay so question number one what is your favorite word um, I, I'm gonna say hello. Okay. I'm gonna say hello. Yeah. That's my favourite word. Is in that's my favourite yeah, word. Quite a, it's a, Hi or hello. Yeah. Yeah, it's a word that you probably use a lot. You know, most days. You, yeah. you know, especially working with different people and um, whether it be clients or just you know staff or yeah, you know, yeah. whoever, you probably say it quite a lot, don't you? Universal hello, kind of greeting, verbal greeting. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, a, yeah that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. That's a good icebreaker as well, isn't it? You know, mm. if you say hi to someone, particularly if there's a sense of, are we saying hello or not? It's when someone says hello. It's wonderful, yeah, when somebody says hello to you or in whatever context, I always think it's it's nice, it's open. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I, I love thought that, yeah. one Okay, question number two. What is your least favourite word? I think it's got to be something like can't or don't. Can't, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is quite a... Uh, a popular response is it yeah past guests on that question yeah like, can't or don't is mm. not yeah, can't I'm quite, fond of. like the end of a sentence is like the yeah. thing is I can't you, you know it's quite final isn't it limiting yourself or yeah, yeah. it's a negative self-judgment yeah. often as well isn't it mm -hmm. isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay oh, yeah negative self-judgment I like that that's exactly <laughs> what I thought yeah uh, question number three what turns you on uh Sunshine, the summer. I'm a sun person. Mm. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 Well. Question number four. What turns you off? Being cold. <laughs> Obvious. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I completely resonate with me that Vicky. Um question number five. What sound or noise do you love? Uh the sound of the rain on a tent. Mm. Oh yeah, that's specifically cool. on a tent. Yeah, yeah. love yeah. that. Yeah, okay. yeah. And we yeah. say this every time, don't we? That every guest that we've had on, who we've asked that question, every single answer has been an element. So it's been oh, wow. the wind, yeah. the yeah. rain, the sea. Yeah. Um, it's been something like to do with nature, hasn't it? Every yeah. Single, I don't think we've had one. That's no, it. no. We still, we've we've. Uh, you're dead, you're like dead right. my partner singing or anything like that. Never <laughs> no, that, no, no, no. <laughs> no, it's never been. Uh, I think maybe a child laughing. I think was someone's answer. So maybe that was. Mm. But again, that's quite elemental, isn't it? When a child laughs, it tends to be quite a, well, a visceral yeah. kind of, mm. you know. Um, yeah, but it is almost always it's the elements, isn't it? Mm. I it's think the range. Sound of the I think range probably leading the way, isn't it? I think. Yeah, or the waves yeah. coming in and out. On the shore, that's another popular answer as well. Yeah, I said rain, but yeah. not specifically on a tent. But I get what you mean. It's that like yeah. it bounces off, doesn't it? And you're sort of cozy oh, and yeah. warm, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Okay. So it's good to know that I'm no different from the general population there. No, That's no. great. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling really unique yeah. now. Yeah. Thanks very much. Well, no one said 10, so. Yeah. Uh, question number six. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, a fire engine. Oh, okay. Specifically, if not, not just kind of sirens, but specifically. Yes, but you don't know what the sound just frightens me, but mm. don't know why. Yeah. yeah, I think again, somebody else has said, I think you said that was that your answer, sound of a siren. I think I said a siren, or, yeah, an ambulance. Yeah. Um, I think it was that thing of because when you hear that noise, you know it sort of signals present someone's in trouble or yeah. danger, doesn't it? That's you know, the idea is to grab it's doing its job, isn't it? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, but something about that the fact that there's a fire, I don't know, feels yeah, unnerving, so yeah, and all definitely. Mm. It definitely shows how the senses have an immediate kind of impact on our emotional self as well, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Like something sensorial comes yeah. in and you're like, it triggers the, a response, you know, yeah, it's a powerful response, yeah, okay. Question number seven, Vicky. What is your favourite swear word? Oh, well, <laughs> mm, I feel like I need to spell it. Well, it's not, it's become everybody's favourite swear words in, in here. In okay. this. So it's actually not mine, it's a collective swear words because one of the other staff members uses it and it's cunt. There's just a bit of a joke now that we just use it, we band it around affectionately. So so I, I thought when, yeah, I, that, it's not actually it's kind of become a bit of mine but it's kind of quite a few of us mm -hmm. find that word really yeah. funny now because yeah this person that we really love just bands it around all the time so <laughs> and it's quite a it can be quite again an emotive word can't yeah. it? Like people can find it super offensive mm. but like again like we've discussed on all the other episodes that you know it's just a word isn't it yeah. and if like you said it sounds like between you know yourselves it sort of becomes where it's Done in a way that's it's funny or it's a, almost a sense of um, what's the word endearment and yeah, things yeah. like that. It's, it's, it's it the, really how we manage to change such an offensive word into something <laughs> endearing is is what the team the possibility of the team is yeah. endless really. Yeah, yeah. It shows the, the is that length and breadth of your skills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true though, isn't it? Without going off on a tangent too much, I think we've had this conversation in previous episodes, haven't we, Brian? It's that you know language is contextual and I think that there's an enormous power in that mm -hmm. but it also is enormously empowering as well yeah. you can kind of you can play with language and almost um, uh, I don't want to say desensitized to it but you can almost say okay well I'll choose what the what you know what meaning I give to that word mm -hmm. rather than rather than kind of a conformative sort of you know reaction to a word yeah just whether it's a swear word or or but also the power is in knowing that if that word's used out of context, I don't just mean that particular mm -hmm. swear word, but just in general, language is, is crucial, isn't it? Mm -hmm. you know, in life and certainly in mental health as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, love it. Fantastic. Is that the first time we've had that word on there? Well, I think we. I think it's oh, been, uh, it's been it's a, a second. Is it? Yeah. I don't remember. It was. Uh, I think it was one of our colleagues at CAMS. It was Kate. Ah, right. Okay. Oh. And it was definitely said with a lot more. Yeah. Kate used the C word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, then. Said with a lot more anger than Vicky said. Brilliant. Okay. Question number eight. What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Uh, I'd love to be an aerobics instructor or a spin instructor. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds hard work. That. <laughs> That's a passion. I'd, I'd, yeah, I think it'd just be a really good life. I think a spin instructor. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, they, they have my undying and respect yeah. spin instructors <laughs> yeah. because they go and go again. It's like yeah. there's another session in fifteen Absolutely. minutes. Absolutely, just a buzz, isn't it? And they yeah. just go and go. Yeah. yeah. Whether I'll be able to do it or not, I'm not quite sure. But yeah. Cool. Okay. Question number nine: What profession would you definitely not like to attempt? Well, I think this will probably be, I think probably a lot of people would agree on this, but a politician, I would not like to be a politician. <laughs> no. It's a thankless job, though, yes. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. No. And finally, question number 10. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Hmm. Maybe we've been expecting you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I like that one. We've yeah. been expecting you. I think we've had that before as well, haven't we? Yeah. 
We've been expecting have it. Oh, have we? Have we had enough? I think yeah. someone said, what's up, you so long? If he said, can, <laughs> oh, I, can I have a follow-up? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I definitely have that. I know, yeah. <laughs> can I ask a quick follow-up on that, Vicky? What would you say if he said that? What would... If God said, we've been expecting you. Yeah. Do you have any idea what you might say? Um, few. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what else to say to yeah. that, but yeah, yeah, just be grateful. Yeah, yeah. Great. Oh, well, thank you for answering those questions. Okay. So, before we get into um, RASA's as an organisation and, and what you do here, I just wondered if you could give us a little bit of a story about yourself, sort of what mm. led you into sitting here today and sort of um, bringing you into the world of sort of mental health therapy yeah 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 sure um, so as you can tell I'm from the north um, not uh, from uh, not a Liverpoolian um, so I I think I came over here just over 15 years ago but originally randomly I was in retail and I was traveling worked on cruise ships and did all kinds of random jobs mm-hmm. uh, until my early 20s and then uh, I was working on cruise ships at the time I remember I think I was about 22 23 um, and I was sort of thinking I can't I can't kind of do this job all my life I come back and a bit of a nomad uh, you know, I've got no kind of fixed abode or anything like that. So, so I just, yeah, I, I thought about I'd like to get into mental health, and I thought about possibly being a counsellor. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was in the toilet in a cafe over in, on the Wirral and saw uh, a little sticker for Rasa, right. and I thought, mm, I like the sound of that. Mm. Um, you know, supporting men, women, and children that have been abused. It sounds like quite an interesting area. So um, I volunteered, did the training, and then. So that must have been about 17 years ago. Uh, was a volunteer for a number of years and then kind of um, moved up really. Was one of the first ISVAs in Merseyside, independent sexual violence advisor. Mm-hmm. So got a position doing that for about five to six years, as well as being a counsellor and a volunteer. Uh, and then eventually, yeah, moved up to, to clinical lead, um, as well as a counsellor and one of the tutors here now. Yeah, after right. nearly 17 years, yeah. That sounds like quite yeah. a big change going from sort of being away, working on cruise ships. Absolutely, it sounds yeah. quite glamorous, and then sort of deciding to just sort of—it almost sounds like head first straight into. Yeah, so it's serious. I was like, I've got to, I've got to do something with my life here. Yeah. I can't just tan myself for like years and years. I've got to do something else. So. Any regrets? Um, <laughs> they won't have you back on the ship. So uh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I just had to grow up a little bit. I think. Right. So you've been with, so you started your training with Rasa and then you've just been here ever since? So I did my training in York at the time where I was, I was living, so did did my um, counselling qualification there uh, and then came over here and did my Masters at Chester um, and but did my placement at, at Rasa, yeah. So right. I worked on the helpline and then had two or three clients over that kind of two-year training mm-hmm. period, yeah. Yeah, so how long ago was that now then? So I probably would have been about, yeah, 16, 17 years ago. Right. I think I was quite young when I qualified. I was um, probably about 26, 25, 26, mm. which at the time I remember thinking I feel quite young in relation. Mm. Yeah. And, and actually clients said that very early when I qualified. There was, I certainly experienced a bit of ageism, mm-hmm. a bit of like, you know, how could you, you know, this 20 year old, you know, somebody in her 20s, sorry, yeah. know what I'm going through, which mm. I totally get, totally yeah. get and mm. had to, overcome yeah i think that's quite common isn't it that i think yeah. even now people still still experience yeah. as in like trainee counselors and people who maybe have qualified you, you know at sort of a younger age so they can feel a little bit that um people will be you know yeah you know what do you know type of thing absolutely yeah, yeah. but at yeah. the same time i think you know there's a lot more younger people accessing therapy now and mm-hmm. i think sometimes actually sitting down with a therapist who you can relate to that you know looks a similar age and things like that can also be really helpful yeah. rather than sitting down with somebody that might look you know similar to I don't know like your mum's age for example yeah. um, so I think yeah I think it's yeah, absolutely uh, yeah I couldn't agree more I think it can be a good building block for empathising with, with clients can't mm-hmm. it you know if you've mm-hmm. got a similar sort of um, obviously age range so you're poss- possibly going to have similar like reference points in certain respects like whether it's social or cultural reference points yeah. I think that can be 
you know, be magic in, mm-hmm. in building what we'd call building our therapeutic relationship yeah. with the clients. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask as well, the your kind of early life career with the with gone cruise ships and that sort of thing, Vicky. I can imagine. I imagine that that life and that world to be very much experiencing lots of different types of people, lots of different personalities, and people from different areas of the world, maybe as well. Did you ever feel, with the benefit of hindsight, did you ever feel like that actually was, you know, offered you a lot of valuable tools to yeah. when you started training as a as a therapist? Yeah. Do you know what? I never ever thought about that, reflected it on it in that way before. Um, but I certainly. Um, I guess when I was 16 I was quite independent so I immediately moved, worked abroad really really quickly both working on campsites and on cruise ships and and travelled so um, what what I noticed about meeting people in those kind of jobs is and not generalising this was just my experience but people are generally trying to get away from something um, oh, so you kind of meet these these groups and you kind of become like family connected really quickly because you kind of need that family unit it's quite normal and you, you form attachments really quickly mm-hmm. um, so the depth of relationships that you get is, is really kind of yeah quite uh, intense mm-hmm. so I think that was really molding for me really shaping gave me kind of confidence and helped with my own self-discovery um, which yeah I would say would, would is definitely put me in good stead uh, to do the work that we do definitely to venture into somebody else's world yeah. and yeah that's really interesting you say that as well because when I was younger I'd done a little bit of travelling and worked away and when, when I was listening to you say that then yeah I can sort of do you know what, yeah. but yeah. there's an element I think I was maybe a little bit older when I first started working away I think I was sort of 19 18, 19 and I think you sort of I felt like I was almost forced to mature a little bit, but yeah, it, yeah like a yeah. sense that you don't fit in really. But then you were this other group, and they say, "Well, I don't fit yeah. in," so you kind of, I don't know, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, yeah. I that really resonates. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I similar. We've spoke about this a little bit on on previous episodes, haven't we, Brian? Our own personal backstories, and I'm not sure if I shared, but I, I lived abroad for a little bit when I was younger, and when you said that, Vicky, I thought, my goodness, and I've honestly never reflected on it. In you know in, yeah. in that way before, but when you said that, definitely the you know I, I lived in Spain, a very kind of, and I say this with with affection, very anglicised town in Spain, and um, yeah, looking back now, it was uh, I think I've always felt that since since you know since I've grown up a little bit that there, there was a real sense of the disconnected and disenfranchised souls mm. kind of gravitated towards the, those sorts of environments and then you form you know relationships with each other yeah. um, and but when you said that then I thought my god yeah people running away from things I guess that comes into a lot of you know a lot of people's if not everybody's to some degree youth you know you're trying to yeah. shed your skin you're trying to but yeah. obviously you know for some of us I think and certainly myself I would say that can be more um, that can hold a lot more weight, like that sense of wanting mm. to get out or get away from. from yeah, something. get away or find something, isn't it? Find just find mm. yourself in some yeah. way, and yeah. you know, and yeah. yeah, yeah, and it really does make so much sense what you're saying. When a lot of people who are, who kind of tend to gravitate towards those worlds have similar stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that myself. But, and there was, I know, in, in in the office, the you know the women that I work with are wonderful, and that we. There was a bit of a joke about some of the, the occupations that I got. Oh yeah, I've done that, and it's just random. Like years of just really random jobs, mm-hmm. just in yeah. in. Um, but definitely, yeah, puts you in good stead, I think. To definitely, yeah. To I be with so. somebody, you know, mm-hmm. fully be with them. So yeah. No, definitely, I, I I agree. I think having all those, and I think it's it, it's funny, isn't it? Because when I spoke to lots of other therapists, and I can include myself, and I think conversations we've had. I think we're similar. I, I, my wife always sort of jokes because she's been in the same job for like twenty years. Where I've had over the last twenty, maybe not the last ten, but prior to that, loads of different jobs and, and mm-hmm. yeah, working with different types of people and um, yeah, that's a, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
So um, we mentioned you mentioned that you saw. Did you say it was a a, a card or a sticker of Rass about Rasa? Yeah, Rasa? yeah, stickers at the time on the toilet. Yeah, so phoned in and um, phoned up and uh, yeah, came on the volunteer training. And how how old was Rasa at that point? Was it a new service still, or was it had it been? Um, so Rasa started. Rasa is over thirty five years old now. Oh, okay. um, so originally started in um, Bootle, uh, sorry Bootle, um, Birkenhead on Borough Road. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know. Um, we're all very well. Birkenhead, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm from over there myself. Yeah, so you know Borough Roads. So um, over thirty five years ago now, um, sadly Diane Sindel. Uh, a local woman had was raped and murdered on that road when her car broke down and she went to get fuel. Mm. Um, so as a result, a couple of women um, decided we need some sort of support for people that have experienced sexual violence, nice. uh, predominantly women at the time. Mm. Um, and two women set up a, a little um, phone uh, room, went up, set, used one of the rooms and, and used a phone as like a little helpline really. Uh, so that was the start of, of RASA nice. and now, we receive over 2,000 referrals per year. That's um, a lot, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah, a lot. And is that a mix of women and men? Or and children, and yeah. And children, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, so it started off in just two people. It shows you how much like things can grow, can't it, when some yeah. people are passionate about something and, yeah. um, you know, starting off something quite small, yeah. but obviously much needed, and that can just grow. And yeah. Absolutely. I think so, I think so often that that's similar kind of story shall we say that trajectory of a service comes up as you know that, that's similar it was rooted in a small group of people mm. felt inspired that there's there's a gap in the support services available here or the support services on offer yeah. mm-hmm. in our pre one of our previous episodes in the series we spoke with Kathy didn't we from mm-hmm. Love Jasmine and similar in some ways they, they were inspired to start their service because yeah. they just felt there was a huge gap in you know practical support and obviously just that immediately after mm. sadly the, the, the sad uh, passing of, of their child they felt it was just not very much actually there on yeah. a you know on an everyday level and obviously that inspired them and their services you know they're, yeah they're absolutely phenomenal. amazing yeah. now yeah doing yeah. amazing work I think again even with um, the last guest we had on Andy uh, from Andy's Man Club that was similar that well um, the guy who you know um took his own life and I think it was his brother-in-law that felt yeah, that yeah. there was no if he would have had somebody to go and speak to then that might have been avoided so they said that's how that came about and I think you know when you, when you listen and find out about a lot of these services they're not set up as a way of um, because someone was inspired to set a service up to make money for example it's done because it's you know people feel passionate about it or that there's a need and um, yeah it's just, it's just amazing how you see them all so they're all big some of these services can go. I guess that's where part of the drive maybe that that you know the completely necessary commitment and and drive to to, to you know to continue the idea you have. Mm-hmm. It comes from that personal f- feeling, feeling personally touched in some way by mm-hmm. the you know the the whatever the origin of the story was. Like you say, yeah. the um, Diane, awful yes, story yeah. of Diane. Yeah. But I guess. The people who started the service there that's that kind of the motivation is how powerful they felt about yeah. that situation yeah. yeah so how how did this do you know how the service was it grew is it just the way it got out there and then yeah they they um yeah i think i think they started to things like probably i would imagine i don't actually know but evidence their calls and started to maybe go to commissioners and get funding mm-hmm. or um yeah so uh, and then it started off as a one room, then it started off as a house over in Birkenhead, and now obviously we've we had a place in in Liverpool, Duke Street, mm-hmm. and now we've moved here. So we've kind of got what feels like a purpose-built building, really, even mm-hmm. though it's not. But it's just wonderful. It feels really safe. Mm-hmm. We've had some locations that don't feel as safe, which feels wrong, really, when we're kind of working with people that you know feel quite unsafe in the world, yeah. really. So this feels a really nice space yeah, to it, do the work that we do. It, it is a nice building as well, and I think it's quite local to public transport isn't it the train station is just there and definitely the bus routes yeah um you know there's yeah it's it's quite it's quite easy to get to isn't it i think which is important for yeah yeah for people so it started off with was it two 
Yeah, I think I think two, and then I'm yeah probably just grew and grew really. Where you're at now for staff yeah. wise, do you think? So we've got yeah over oh well over fourteen staff, uh, and and they're not all active, but we've got about seventy volunteers. Right. But yeah. So yeah. we rely heavily on 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 the commitment of our volunteers mm-hmm. as well. And is that volunteer counselors, volunteer, volunteer counselors, listeners, helpliners, right. yeah, fundraisers, mm-hmm. getting oh, involved amazing. in activism, yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. So you mentioned there a few different like services that volunteers can mm. can get can volunteer for can get involved with. So could you give us a little bit of uh, an overview, please, Vicky? What what when we're talking about Rasa, what what does Rasa do? Yeah. So so Rasa predominantly offer therapeutic support, so counselling, uh, therapy. Um, to again to survivors or people that have been you know indirectly impacted um you know if you're a family member or you know you know somebody and you obviously can feel the impact as mm-hmm. well um so we can offer one-to-one therapy um we run groups at the minute structured groups um we run um clinical hypnotherapy groups so people have anxiety and depression can come to those groups as well uh, we've had really good outcomes from those um we offer um uh, single session therapy as well um, so people can just come in for a one-off uh, appointment mm-hmm. if, they, if, if they feel that would be helpful and we also offer something called independent sexual violence advisor support so if somebody is unsure what they want to do or if somebody wants to report um, they can come into service and they can have an appointment with somebody and they can talk them through that process and give them a kind of informed choice and then support them if they decide to go ahead and report or they need maybe help with something else, housing, or mm-hmm. we can help them with that as well. Um, yeah. And then we have a children's service, which again offers structured therapeutic support as well as is for support, so supporting children through the criminal justice process as well as having therapeutic support. Right. Oh, so you offer practical support through the, the criminal justice? Yeah, so the well? ISFAs, yeah, we'll, we'll um, yeah, support them um, right the way through from their initial video interview, their statement, right the way through to um, trial and then kind of post trial if they if they need kind of support after that as well. And just on, on that, with, um, I know sometimes if somebody wants to access support but they didn't want to go down the criminal justice mm. route and report it, is that something that? are they still able to access support yeah from yeah i'm glad you've asked that brian yeah just to make that really clear that you don't have to it's not a, reporting is not a prerequisite of coming here in mm-hmm. fact the majority of people that come here do, you know don't want to report right um uh, and that's more than okay it's yeah. absolutely their choice mm-hmm. yeah and also uh, so if somebody's you know experienced um sexual violence and or, or rape um are they is it literally about picking the phone up call on yourselves there'll be somebody there that will yeah. take that phone call and from that moment sort of help guide that person through what support can be offered yeah absolutely so there's a couple of ways you can go online and you can just fill out a self-referral form okay. it doesn't take too long we intentionally don't ask triggering questions mm-hmm. or you can just phone up our, our numbers on on the website and self-refer and again we don't ask many questions so we take their details and then one of our team will call them back and just let them know what what support we've got so whether it you know the ISFER or the different types of therapeutic support mm-hmm. uh, so they have a we, we want clients to have uh, a choice mm-hmm. uh, of what they feel is right for them and um, yeah. so we try and be really explicit in terms of what's on offer so the clients really clear and some people might have one-to-one counseling and then also go into the groups because they're quite different mm-hmm. so um, that was really important to us that we give yeah clients that kind of bigger choice to I imagine the first thing that comes to me when you said that about choices and imagine you know when they've experienced something that's brought them to this service it's because that choice was taken away from them absolutely so yeah. I think by you know I think by as a service offering that choice sort of almost gives them that bit of empowerment back doesn't it yeah and, and you know hopefully a, a feeling of control even as well yeah that's really important you know when clients phone and obviously sometimes they've never told anybody and we, we know that when they pick up the phone it's a it's a big step already mm-hmm. so uh, our ethos is that you know we, we are there to believe and support so um, you know one of the barriers of, of people coming forward is not being believed mm-hmm. so our ethos right, is okay. yeah, you know to really kind of be there yeah. uh, for that person uh, that's really uh, that really I found that quite powerful to listen to one of the barriers for people accessing a service like right, why 
excuse me, a service like Rasa is that they won't be believed. Mm. So that's you would say that's one of the is that one of the most common themes that yeah, comes up for people? Absolutely, or yeah, self blame, blaming ourselves, you know, I should have done this, I should have done mm. that, uh, you know, and that shame can kind of mm. prevent people coming forward as well. Um so yeah, we recognise that. Um, I think so that's quite important in sort of you know therapy and mental health as a whole, isn't it? Mm. That people feeling um I, I would probably say judged but you know, coming to yeah. get support but feeling like they're gonna be judged or thought of in a particular way or um not believed. I think there's mm-hmm. there's, there's all of there's a lot, isn't it, that goes on for people when before they initially um Gets to the point where they feel able to access it. Of, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think I, it can be the biggest step in the process, can't yeah. it? That initial kind of mm-hmm. saying, you know, not just saying it to yourself, because I think lots of people become aware that I need support, but actually sharing that with somebody else mm-hmm. can be so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and particularly, as you say, with some of the stories I'm sure that come into mm-hmm. into Rasa, um, if somebody were to call up and they shared something with you that you would consider that was a risk they were mm. they were on you mentioned an unsafe environment earlier on vicky if you someone called up yourself to make a referral mm. self-referral or for or for a child um and they shared something with you that you thought well, that sounds like an unsafe situation how would you respond to that uh, yeah, so you might have to give it some context because it would right. yeah it would just depend on their age you know what they were saying so if if they if they're at current risk and they're saying they're a minor um, again if they gave us enough details we might depending on what the risk was we might breach their confidentiality and share that information often people will phone the helpline though so they they will tell you things and they know that there's very little you can do because mm. you'd have to say. You know, do you consent? Do you, will you give your you know phone number, and it might be withheld. So, um, it would just depend, really. We have you know quite um, we follow safeguarding policy and procedures, so mm. uh, we there'd be a consideration of that. Um, but it just depends on what details we have of the client as well, right, and okay. what they're prepared to give us. Um, no, thank you. I was just thinking, again, of maybe barriers of you know maybe even people who listen to this podcast or in in general barriers for people contacting a service like Rossage you know what I mean and saying I definitely feel like I need support well I mean I guess one of the fears is is that we will do something and that person might not feel ready so so what I would say with that is is you know things like the helpline are really helpful because people can just be totally anonymous Mm -hmm. and they can kind of put the feelers out they can ring Ah, up first and kind of go this is my situation and we do get callers that will say if I told you this what would you do yeah. and we have to say things like well we haven't got your number you're telling me that you're an adult uh, and that you're safe um, but we might still ask these questions or we might still say can we do this or mm. um, so for some people at first it's knowing that we won't do anything at that point other than listen yeah. mm. you know, hear them and listen at that point yeah because I think and again, I, again similar to when people come in for any type of sort of therapy and in, in any area of support, a lot of the time, you know, once we explain around confidentiality and when it may be broken or may not under the safeguarding, yeah. that can make people feel a bit more at ease, can't it? Because yeah. it's it's not, you know, if somebody tells you something that necessarily that means confidentiality is going to mm. be broken mm. straight away. Um, and I think that can help with those boundaries, I think, yeah. can't it? Once, once it's clear. But obviously, we know that's sitting here, but I think for somebody who's never accessed support before or therapy they might just feel oh, if I say this definitely yeah, you know. yeah and it's yeah. it's like like you mentioned uh, it's like you mentioned earlier Vicky as well you know there's such a stigma often particularly if someone never accessed support before or and or doesn't know of anybody else that they're as far as they're aware of mm. has accessed support before as we know sadly there can be such a huge stigma around that you know and that, that fuels the, the fear you know and the <coughs> excuse me the anxiety as well um, but when you mentioned the helpline there as well, I just that sounds like an invaluable resource that somebody can call up and say, "If I told you this, or mm. I want to say something out loud." Mm. And I think the, your final words then were, "We can we can offer a listening ear, you know, yeah. we can offer that empathy and just listen." Yeah. I think that could be so powerful. You know, we've we've touched on this before, haven't we, Brian? That sense of 
often saying something out loud mm. can can at least help to, to start to break down the the anxiety or the fear you know it's a huge step forward isn't it so often just to say something out loud um, particularly in confidence you know if if it's something like a helpline as well absolutely and you might find that they call again and they call again or you might they might call them with a different name but you might recognize you know right, okay. um but it's you know it's 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 confidential for them that that space mm. and i think that like you said it's just about initially just being listened to because i imagine some people have felt or have been isolated and yeah. not felt listened to or heard um where i think being able to have a, a service that you know, even from the start, can can offer that can mm. probably be quite, quite helpful to somebody in that position. Absolutely. Well, I think when you when you sincerely feel listened to, you you feel like you're visible to somebody else. Mm. You know, as a person. You know. So, Vicky, is there a, is there a, a um, almost a format if someone contacts and says I need support? Um, is there okay? We'll make an appointment. Come in. We'll do an assessment. Or what? What? What's the sort of process from that initial contact of someone asking for yeah. help and support so they yeah they they uh, would call up um, and um, then we'd arrange them to call them back when mm. there's a bit more time when it's more convenient for them maybe uh, and then that person would uh, look at what support um, they need really take some and that that kind of would take a bit of information at that point from them really mm. um, and um, yeah then they would go onto a waiting list for for whichever support they want and then they would be contacted as soon as that becomes available and asked to come in, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is there a sort of times on waiting lists and stuff? Or there is, it, yeah. Mm. We've anything from 10 to 12 months at the minute on our waiting right. list, yeah. So We've had a bit of an increase in referrals mm -hmm. from year on year. Um, right. Over 50% increase, we think, when we look working out our statistics right. from last year to this year in terms of an increase, yeah. So uh, this question just comes to my mind. It sort of, do you think sort of COVID and lockdown and stuff has had a an impact on um, an increase in sort of things happening to people and yeah, we and we yeah. I think um I think um that absolutely yeah. Mm. I think that's increased um you know domestic violence, sexual abuse, uh, and also has kind of exacerbated people's already issues with mental health I think yeah. as well people mm -hmm. just not doing particularly well isolation anxiety mm. um, yeah. yeah yeah I mean that makes so much sense really sadly doesn't it um, and I guess a lot of the you know the change in law you know the change in government policy understandably uh, at different points throughout the pandemic if we were to look at it purely from an, a, a, a mental health perspective the, a lot of things that you would discourage people mm -hmm. to do if they wanted, you know, for their mental health, things like isolating, things like you know, not, not going out, mm. you know, or, or severely limiting when you're actually going outside and, and, and engaging with, with nature, with the outside world, with other people, mm. uh, for new experiences. All those things were kind of shut social down. Social contact. Social contact, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So all the things that we encourage people to do to improve yeah. their mental health and well-being was all stopped wasn't it exactly so, yeah so yeah. it really does make sense yeah mm. and the domestic side of it i guess as well it's it's such a huge this i don't want this to sound reductive but it's such a huge change to the vast majority of people's lives mm. when you are you know essentially forced to spend every minute of the day with each other yeah and i, w I would guess please correct me if i'm wrong on this Vicky, but i would guess certainly if there was already underlying domestic upheaval shall we say yeah. I guess the pandemic wouldn't have been helpful I think yeah because every, kind of everybody's stresses are activated aren't they really there's yeah. that extra pressure so mm -hmm. yeah I do think that um, yeah it was probably the incidents increased yeah. uh, and therefore the impact mm. yeah. I think there has been bits of research that have come mm. out already haven't they say that, that that's what had happened yeah. I don't think there's been a lot done yet I think probably the people who do the research are probably still collecting the data yeah. and stuff but yeah. I think that already it su suggests that, that that is what has, has happened yeah. um, go on Max. I was just going to ask if um, were you still on that subject or no no okay so I was just going to ask um, so someone makes a referral or contacts the service um, and they 
can access support here. So if someone had never accessed support before or never accessed this particular mm -hmm. kind of area of support, what would happen in the first session or the first time they kind of came into into Rasa? What what's the general process? What would they, what could they expect? Yeah, so like counselling or I'm thinking maybe yeah, a therapy yeah. and counselling. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, they would um, the council would go through a contract um, and and kind of like an assessment, really looking at maybe their history or anything they felt was relevant, support networks, uh, just taking some additional details, and in case of an emergency, and I, and I say that because many years ago we never used to take one of those. Mm. Um, it was just you just come into service and that's that, and yeah. it doesn't matter what you say. And now, you know, it's slightly different, really. So. Um, uh, and then yeah I kind of look at so there's that that kind of generic way and then we would sort of ask um, you know what yeah what maybe brought them to therapy we'd, we'd make clear things like um, if this doesn't feel okay you want another therapist or you know you're not kind of gelling that's quite normal mm -hmm. and you can you can ask for that either me directly or you can oh. phone in and ask because you need, you need to kind of ensure you get that right relationship really Definitely. don't you yeah 100%. Um and we also say that you don't need to go into any specific details unless you feel it would be beneficial. Mm -hmm. And it's always important to say that because people's perception is that they're going to have to go into detail of everything that's happened. Yeah. And actually, that's not always beneficial mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. for people to do that. Yeah, and I think we've we, we've touched on this with um, we we done an episode in the last series uh, with one of our guests, and it was specifically about trauma. Mm. Um, and you know what we spoke about, which uh, I think is what sort of alluding to here is that sometimes by people going into detail can you know be traumatized yeah that person can't it so yeah. i think you know with a the therapist who understands about trauma and things like that or yeah. know to sort of not push for that and sort of understands the importance of um you know it's more about making that person feel safe and mm. feel sort of grounded and you know all, all the things that you would do if you were working with with trauma, um, which that sounds like what what you were sort of saying. Absolutely, there. yeah. I mean, you know, our therapists are predominantly trained as person centred, and some have, you know, some are EMDR practitioners, some are CBT, um, solution focused. But the relationship, as we know, is is obviously core. But um, we always say, if people do um, when people volunteer here. The level of experience they get because of the client group is, I think, sometimes a bit more intense. Mm -hmm. Because, um, yeah, the client, the resilience that you see in the clients. Some people might think, oh, you know, it must be really difficult working here. But if you went into that office now, you'd, you know, the women in there are just full of compassion for each other, for their clients, mm -hmm. because we're just privy to resilience every day yeah. and these wonderful relationships that we have with our clients. Um, you know, they come in one session don't even know what their favorite color is and they leave and they're telling you what they need from their therapy mm. you know it's just wonderful to see yeah, um and and really rewarding and, and just real as well yeah. so um it just makes it a very special place to work at yeah. yeah and it sounds like when clients come in and um they go into therapy the it almost sounds like you know they walk out of there sort of feeling health feeling held yes mm -hmm. yeah very much there's lots of relational stuff that mm -hmm. happens and um you know it's it's not our job to be you know their um advisor or we're, we're there to obviously they're the expert mm -hmm. um we're there to keep them you know checking in with who they are we're not there to tell them what they need to be if, if you like so um and you know we we have a limit to our sessions but we do do long-term therapy because we know sometimes that's required as well mm -hmm. so it can feel quite holding for some clients that might need longer to repair mm -hmm. or heal um you know or dip in and out of therapy come back in you know leave so once it once a, a person come in and maybe access therapy and once that had finished is there you mentioned about the groups and things like that is that that sort of long-term support or would they be signposted or yes yeah, so, so you can, they, they'd probably be they can come into groups and we're running for some mindfulness courses as well okay. um so um but generally yeah we see ourselves as we are always looking at projects about the long-term work but generally we look at maybe signposting the community mm -hmm. so we're kind of the therapeutic stop off if you like but there yeah. are more resources online as well mm -hmm. and we're starting some other bits like yoga and things yeah good um, yeah. And, and you said before about um, 
children and males can access the yeah. service as well if they've experienced domestic abuse, sexual violence, rape, they, they can also... Yeah, we just we did a piece of research on, on male survivors um, accessing our service just to see um, what kind of what they felt about the service as, as men coming in mm-hmm. and um, and we wanted to make sure really that as a as a female only workforce that we weren't you know that actually there wasn't a need being met because at the minute we don't have any male workers mm-hmm. right. which is something we're always looking at so um, there was a couple of the men that yeah did say you know would I would have liked the option at least which yeah absolutely um, we understand that mm-hmm. um, we, and we do need to to look at that and listen to, to to what they're saying but a lot of the men said that they um, felt really comfortable in the service that they quite liked it that it was a female mm-hmm. um workforce um and that they just liked that the support was bespoke to them yeah they didn't mm-hmm. want any specific gender support they just wanted the support specifically mm-hmm. to, to work Amazing. for them yeah. yeah and it, and you know it comes back to or well, for me anyway it comes back to the stigma that we mentioned about accessing support in general but i would say particularly around this the you know the area of support that you you offer vicky you yeah. guys offer at rasa you know sexual abuse and 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 domestic violence and so on i think there's a there's certainly a dynamic there's a there's a, a, a definitely a stigma with with males accessing support yeah. i mean we've we've talked about this in previous episodes Males accessing support in general, mm. I think, is there's definitely a stigma around that. With domestic abuse, sexual abuse, do you feel that's amplified at all, or is that? Yeah, definitely. With you know, with uh, with sexual abuse, um, you, you know, in the research, you know, some of the men had said that you know the problem wasn't inside RAS, it was when they step outside the door. You know, they feel that kind of toxic masculinity and that mm. barrier. Um, so. You know, I think for men that there is that added, yeah, stuff around kind of, um, you know, I shouldn't have allowed this happen, and it's even more exacerbated than maybe sometimes sometimes for women, mm-hmm. not always, but sometimes. And then, you know, sometimes questions around sexuality, and mm. you know, the first experience was maybe a male abusing them, mm. and there's that question around, you know, my sexuality. Right. Um, but we know that has no correlation between sexuality. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that can be really difficult. Yeah. And that self-expression. Mm. It sounds. I mean, just listening to your talk there, Vicky. I mean, it sounds. The work you do sounds. It does sound phenomenal. It really does. You know, it's so so obviously so important, but it also sounds. I guess you could you know you could say this about any uh, therapy service or any kind of specifics around therapy, but I think. I would say particularly when it comes to things like domestic abu- abuse, excuse yeah. me, domestic abuse and, and sexual abuse, I think it's such an um, it's such a uh, there's such a stigma around it. I think and there's such a sense of um, things will never change. Yeah, you know? and I think I think what's sad is that clients come here with the stigma. So sometimes we have to work with clients to say. Well, how do you judge somebody else that's experienced sexual mm. violence? And they'll say, mm. and, and, and you know, that you really kind of have to, to look at that because it's how you judge that person might be how you're judging yourself as well. And um, because of, you know, that societal impact of, yeah. you know, I should have done this or I was in the, you know, mm-hmm. I, I should have said no and all these ridiculous myths. So, so you ha- kind of have to work with that really as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Just on that one, I don't want to put you on the spot, but. Um, I wonder if, what would you say were some of the main sort of myths around um, sexual abuse and rape? Is the sort of specific yeah myths around that? Maybe what people how people see it. So, for example, um, you know, it, it it doesn't happen to males. For example, although yeah. we, we know it does, but I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I think yeah, lots of. I mean, certainly. Um, I think sometimes there's a frustration when you know there's we talk about female-only services in relation to sexual violence. We're basing that purely on fact. The prevalence of sexual violence is is mainly against women. Mm-hmm. We're absolutely not mm-hmm. excluding men, and we're not saying that men aren't aren't victims as well. Mm-hmm. We 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 absolutely recognise that, and we do that work. So because I, I think sometimes when we go out and do training, and we, we talk a lot maybe about female case studies, and we might have not have as many ma- male case studies. Mm-hmm. 
lots of people will kind of say, well, I feel like, you know, you're not really talking about men here. And it's yeah. like, we are, but we're just basing this on prevalence and facts, mm -hmm. you know. So course, it can yeah, kind of, of create that reaction, but actually sometimes that's the reaction we don't want to create. It's just, it, it's based on fact, yeah. not about favoritism, because we're women as well. Mm -hmm. um, also that abusers go on to abuse. That's, that's mm -hmm. a bit of a myth as well, because that would mean that many of our clients are, are abusers, which yeah. we know that they're not. And also there'd be more female abusers as well. Mm -hmm. So that is, is a huge myth. Um, and I know that men that we work with, for example, who are fathers, become quite fearful of the fact that people might think because they've been abused, they'll oh, go on yeah. to abuse their child, yeah. which is really sad. Mm -hmm. And it can sometimes prevent that bonding relationship with fathers and you know and their children. So that's a myth that yeah. needs to be dispelled. And um, and I'll, I'll and, and just one around how we react under stress, as you as you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's this perception of why didn't you say no or why didn't you fight back or but actually we know that it's a, a normal reaction to be passive and silent and and actually not do something as mm. a way of actively yeah. surviving being under duress yeah. raped or sexually abused yeah. it's a very normal reaction Definitely. and because you're drunk because you've taken drugs um none of that means that you're consenting if you're mm. if you're not comfortable mm. yeah 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 no thanks for that because i think especially um about you know um um, survivors of abuse go on to abuse I think that's a really important one because I think that was definitely something you know a few years ago that sure was lots of studies were done and yeah. the studies were often done with men in probation mm -hmm, so right. a lot of it was to ah, try and right. excuse their behavior mm -hmm. so there was the, the some of the studies were a bit skewed it was like a pseudoscience to that, yeah. that myth as well yeah, yeah. yeah so it's unreliable okay. really yeah, yeah. And I think sorry Mark I think what, what you sort of touched on that on the last one but I think for me a myth is that however that person is feeling who's you know who's been a victim is completely normal to feel that way it's about yes. you know sometimes people feel however the feeling is wrong mm. but actually it's the opposite isn't it however they're feeling mm. is is the right way to feel absolutely for, for, for somebody traumatized you are going to feel probably totally abnormal mm -hmm. you're probably going to feel something's wrong with you and the world is unsafe or you're a bad person that is a normal reaction mm -hmm. to something like sexual abuse yeah mm. yeah, yeah definitely yeah and Again, it comes back to, you mentioned about trauma work earlier on, Brian. It comes back to, it's the brain's way of trying to keep us safe. Mm. You know, that's the, the I, yeah, I couldn't yeah. put it better yet. Yeah, a normal reaction, it's the brain's yeah. normal reaction to a really traumatic event, you Absolutely. know. Absolutely, there's a part in the brain um, called the Broca's region, and they, they term it, don't they, speechless terror. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's totally normal that you didn't say or do anything, because the brain just shut down, it shut yeah. it off. But of course, our juries, and you know members of the public don't know that and they yeah. see things on crime watch and go oh well she managed to fight him off or she shouted mm -hmm. no or and it's just really not a common occurrence and i think even talking about you know it, a lot of people now when you you hear think you know they know about like fight and flight but then they don't know about freeze yeah, which, yeah. which is just exact it's the exact same response that's the bit that's left of that, that yeah. exactly that little uh, saying isn't it or whatever we call it that little sound bite fight and flight yeah fight or flight the bit that's always left out is freeze is I mean, there's, there's freeze. a couple of others but, but I mean I think freeze should be become the norm of fight or flight because if you say to people fight or flight most people go oh yeah you, you know these doesn't know what you're talking about yeah. but freeze is just as prevalent Probably, it's just yeah. the same it's the, yeah. you know I probably think. one of the better survival coping yeah. mechanisms really mm -hmm. yeah 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 mm. And I think as well, just to touch back on that point, you mentioned, um, you shared, Vicky, about a myth that abusers go on to abuse. It's abused people go on to become abusers. Again, I think I can I, I can imagine that to be quite powerful yeah. in a service like, you know, service users of, of a service like RASA because I guess it feeds into that. And for me, this is there's a lot of myth around this idea that your learned behaviours as a child will define mm. everything mm. about you for the mm. rest of your life which mm. i do think that's definitely out there when we in a little bit of cod psychology almost yeah. you know there's an awful lot of assumptions obviously our, as we know our childhood can play a massive part in our template but it doesn't define us and it certainly doesn't mean Absolutely. we can't evolve from what yeah. we've observed and, and or I think, experienced i think something like i think sex if you experience maybe an isolated assault of abuse sexual abuse you might be able to say that was a bad thing that happened to me mm -hmm. but I think if the abuse is prolonged or by somebody that you trust you start to believe I you know I am wrong rather than something bad's happened it's like no I am bad because yeah. if I 
believe that I'm bad, then it means I have some control over my situation. But mm. if I, if I otherwise, it means that this person doesn't love me or that my father might leave me. Mm. So, so there are, uh, you know, there are clever reasons as to why we believe we are, you know, it, you know, it bad to the core, if you like. Mm. Um, but obviously, as an adult, that's really distorted. You know, that's a coping mm. mechanism back as a child, maybe, but as an adult growing up with that, those core beliefs is pretty brutal. Yeah. So it's absolutely. And you yeah. mentioned there about um, like safety behaviours, mm. those sorts of core beliefs of I'm a bad person, yeah. particularly that one. I would say they can lead to really, really unhelpful, unhealthy yeah. safety behaviours yeah. of how people treat themselves, how they might treat other people. Yeah. That, I think so often can be rooted in that, that yeah. core belief that I'm a bad person Absolutely. I'm unlovable yeah. yeah and when clients you know one of the, the a wonderful thing that um, clients you know sometimes some clients might say you know is that they realise there was nothing ever wrong with them you know it's so powerful because yeah. it's like you know mm-hmm. I know that it you know wasn't wasn't me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I know I've in the past I've worked with clients who've experienced abuse getting to the stage of where they can say it wasn't my fault mm. you know I'm, I'm not to blame for any of that I think that that you know really often really powerful for the client to get yeah. to that stage of to, to believe that that yeah. I, you know it, it wasn't their fault absolutely yeah, yeah. so with Rasa um, he was speaking earlier on before we started recording around for the some of the things that you do around with the training and what what's the sort of yeah so um yeah um on our website we so we've got a training arm a training school as well so if anybody wants to um put a plug out there if anybody wants to train to be a a counselor so you can do your level two right the way up to your level four here Mm -hmm. um you can do a cbt course supervision clinical hypnotherapy uh rewind which uh mark has done before which helps treat ptsd Mm -hmm. Brilliant as well. I would thoroughly <laughs> encourage. Honestly, I would. I'd recommend any any uh, any aspiring therapists or therapists who want to, you know, continue as we call it CPD. Yeah. The rewind training, fantastic. I won't take us off on a tangent, but have you ever done it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm. It really was kind of such a. I was actually plugging this only this morning. I was talking <laughs> to a colleague and I said, "I'm going to Rasa, and you know what." I did this rewind training with them and they said, oh, I've heard of that. I said, it's amazing, you should do it. Because I think the thing with, <laughs> I didn't want to go off on a tangent, so I'm doing it. My enthusiasm. <laughs> it's happened. But exactly, yes. Yeah. I know, I do this all the time, don't I? Sorry. But yeah, it's just such a kind of, it's not a simple technique, but it's such a clear technique, I think, yeah. for a therapist and for yeah. for clients who have spoken to, who've, who've, who've worked and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. accessed rewind support with using the rewind technique. And yeah, it can be so effective. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely yeah, yeah. on the rewind training yeah so literally yeah. people people can come in who, who may be uh, thinking about becoming a therapist counsellor and can literally start from the very beginning Le- and yeah. work right the way they through can, to yeah. supervisor yeah. level um, which is really good because I, I know a lot of um, training providers they offer maybe the level three and then four mm. then you've got to go somewhere else to do CBT and you've got to go somewhere else to do um, supervision but I think if you've got that continuity although you've you know to, you, there's probably gaps isn't there before you can do them but, but having that continuous yeah you could no you could yeah you could you could probably do it in about three years yeah yeah, yeah the level probably a bit longer than that actually sorry yeah um probably about four or five yeah so you, you yeah yes but you can do it basically continuously mm-hmm. here yeah well that's really good just and people can just go on the website apply yeah send an application form yeah yeah Yeah. all of the the hypnotherapies on there that's a great course as well the trauma course is on there yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and so you don't necessarily have to come and start from the level three if you're a qualified therapist but you want to go and do the trauma course yeah that's right yeah so you rewind you just have to you rewind in your trauma course and hypnotherapy you just have to be a qualified practitioner right yeah yeah Great. Amazing. Yeah. Really so good. what is the website? What is your website? Uh, Rasa Merseyside. So if you put in Rasa Merseyside, www.rasamerseyside.org, mm. it'll come up. Yeah. And do you have any like sort of social media stuff? Or, yeah, we've yeah. got some stuff on, yeah, you can click on the Instagram there. Mm-hmm. I'm not very good at social media, okay. so I don't, yeah. But you'll see the little the little icon thing. Yeah. Look at that, terrible. We'll put, <laughs> we'll put it on ours and people yeah. can... I get, yeah. I get what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Uh, but we will, yeah, and obviously we'll share all the details okay. for uh, how, keep, how people can can access and get in touch online we'll share that when we uh, when we share the podcast fab yeah is there, is there anything else that we, we haven't asked or is there anything else you'd like to say or is there anything that we haven't covered or oh can i ask another question just about people 
maybe engaging with the service how can people volunteer how do they go about yeah that? again on our website there's a volunteers tab um so it says get involved um and you can apply that way and we recruit um we used to recruit twice a year but it's probably about once a year now because we just right. get so many people right. coming in and wanting to volunteer That's so good. i think the next one's in april the next recruitment yeah is that including i mean i know obviously you do the course or whether maybe this might not be relevant but people uh, like student counselors looking for placements or yeah. do they have to be on the course they yeah. have to be on the course now right, yeah so, okay. so we, we yeah we the, the priority goes to students here mm -hmm. so it just means that we can offer just a little bit more of uh skills really yeah, when yeah. doing that yeah, work that makes with, sense. yeah vulnerable yeah. clients yeah yeah well, that's great amazing so rasamerseyside.org for that yeah as well. yeah. 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 yeah thanks very much for that we really um, appreciate it well it's been fantastic thank you so much thank for having us much, in thank you very much yeah um, again we'll put all the information out of how people can contact yourself uh, and access the courses and so on we'll put that on the uh, on the podcast when we put it online um, can we just ask one final question mm. you probably feel like this has been an interview rather than a conversation no, no. but a question we've we like to ask to all our guests in this series Vicky um, so again sorry to put you on the spot but have you got any a quote or a piece of advice that you once you once received or something that you feel in you when you heard that thing or when you read that quote was quite powerful for you in your life oh crikey um, <laughs> just a mantra or just it could be anything like uh, seize the day or whatever yeah um goodness yeah, I, I guess, uh, well, I I try and say it to myself every day is just trust myself. Just mm. trust myself, really. Trust yourself, yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. A, I think that's if a I nice can do thing, that, then brilliant. I'm going to be okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah. And that's quite powerful, isn't it? Trust, yeah. Getting to a point of being able to trust yourself mm. yeah. is, is really, um, it's quite it's quite empowering, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's a good mm. one. And I get, it connects you with your, your core self as well, doesn't it? You just I think so. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you very you. much. Thank Thanks. You. It's Thank been you. an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Cheers. That's a wrap. Nice to meet you both. Yeah. yeah. Done. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Vicky. Thank, Thank you for your time as well. Uh,